Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Sarah Goodall. Sarah is the founder of Tribal Impact, a social media consultancy which focuses on building a social business culture from the inside out. However, in my view, Sarah does so much more than that. She's a lively communicator and a huge asset to the business community. Welcome, Sarah. It's your five-year anniversary. Congratulations. How's it been for you? Do you know what? It's been a brilliant experience. It's been an amazing learning experience and quite a journey and getting to work with lots of different customers, meeting lots of new people in different industries than I have historically worked in. Um, And it's just been great fun. I don't know whether you're allowed to describe business as that, but it has been great fun. And the last few months, I mean, with what's going on in the pandemic has been, you know, it's been hectic for us. We've noticed a lot of businesses have had their hand forced a little bit with the remote working. They can't meet customers face to face. Uh, And in that sense, you know, business got busy for us because that's exactly what we do. We're all about activating employees on social media so they can connect to customers and prospects in a way that they're not sat in front of them. So for us, we've been one of the the fortunate businesses that have managed to survive so far with little or, or no impact. But you know, I'm consciously watching the horizon. I'm always watching and seeing what's going on. So yeah, but so far, yeah, we're celebrating five years and it's been good fun. Five years is quite an achievement, isn't it? A crucial hurdle to overcome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do remember um, when I left, I left SAP, I took the voluntary redundancy and I remember somebody actually saying to me, Sarah, you know, are you sure about this, right? You've just built a house, you just had your third baby. This is not a good time to set a business up. And I'm like, oh, okay, now you're putting the sowing a seed of doubt. But um no it's been it has been good fun and i think when you read the stats it makes for quite depressing reading on this startup you know that over 60 percent of businesses fail within the first three years or something um so you know to get to five i think is i am gonna celebrate and i'm celebrating big star with donuts and cake and we have i get two birthdays in august my own and my company so i'm a lucky person you set this up as something which would work from home so recent developments can't have come as too much of a shock no not at all um I remember vividly actually about three years ago just as we were starting to grow our tribe so we're starting to get employees and um and my mentor turned around to me said Sarah what is the point of having everyone come to an office sit in front of their laptop all day and then go home at the end of the day he said you could just do that at home so save yourself the the fees of having an office environment and also open up your talent pipeline to people that aren't within your immediate postcode of the office. So we made a conscious decision about three years ago that as we grew as a business, that we would adopt that virtual working, remote working from like three years ago. And I, I'm so glad we did because, you know, this these recent times, we haven't had that knee-jerk response where we've had to get laptops for everyone. You know, we've got a bring your own device thing to work. We all operate in the cloud, so everything's in there. That's We just have grown in that way, so it's no different for us Um, so everybody can access everything from anywhere from any device and that's just the way we've worked from the start so yes less adjustment for us um, 
but our customers have had to adjust so in some ways i've been finding actually we've been teaching them not just about what we do and how to use social to activate their employees but also you know how to adapt a remote working option so they, they're learning from us you know how to do your zoom calls your team calls and that kind of thing so um so yeah it's been it was a good call I think about three years ago, that's one of the best calls probably we've made as a growing business. So, Are customers resistant, do you think? Is there a particular kind of customer that's more resistant than others? I would say the traditional companies, although I would say not so much the tech industry, because the tech industry are quite forward thinking. They, they've embraced it. They work like this anyway. So the tech industry, but perhaps some of the, the bigger sort of more traditional companies that are used to having people in the office and that's what's expected and face to face. I think they have struggled a little bit, but have adapted really well and they've picked it up fast and they just get on with it. Um, but my observation is that I think a lot of companies, I've been reading a lot about this over the last few weeks during COVID and stuff and, you know, how big companies, they, it's a big trust thing, right? And a lot of companies, they, they feel it's better when they've got people in the office because they can trust them, they can see them. But my view is, is you could be sat at your desk all day playing on Facebook. Who's going to know, right? And also you've got bigger problems if you can't trust your employees in the home office, you know, that you've got a trust problem, not a working productivity problem that's a bigger issue that you need to look at. So, um, so yeah, I think probably some companies have found it a little bit difficult, but then I think it's also helped them relook at, you know, what they do as a business and how they work, you know, is it about office in uh, hours in the office and how much time in front of laptop or actually should you be measuring performance of the business in other ways like outcomes and collective outcomes not individual outcomes and also people are learning to value their time more at home I think you know in the office you can very easily get sucked into a meeting and an hour is like a target and you all have to sit there even though it's not productive whereas it when you work remotely you just jump on a call get it done and then carry on you know less of this formal meeting in this room in that room you know so um I would I would absolutely say for certain productivity is higher I think when people are remote working so your thing is social advocacy, getting people in your company to post about you on social media. Why should they do it and, and how should they do it? Well, I mean, right. So the why is the first part. So why I think a lot of people, we focus on employee advocacy, social selling. Ultimately, the umbrella is activating employees on social media. Now, there are a lot of tools out there and we all know tools alone are not the answer to, you know, cracking the nut. Um, and I think a lot of people have made a mistake where they get the tool in and they just assume that employees are there to amplify brand content. Um, and they go with a very brand first approach to advocacy. Now, yes, employees can share brand content, but it needs to be part of a bigger story. It needs to be part of the employee story within the business. And I think this is where uh, those that have been on the advocacy journey for a while have started to realize they perhaps need to relook at their journey. Those that are starting out for the first time need to do it the right way. And I always think it's about helping employees find what is their role and purpose within the company itself. Because if you can help them communicate that, you can also help them communicate the role and purpose of the business at a whole. And I think when you start to uncover, you know, what, why do you work with the company that you do? What, what is it about your role that you really enjoy? 
because I, we train like legal firms, okay? So we work a lot of fee earners within law firms. That is not a job I could do. I'm just not skilled to do that. And I, and I just couldn't do it. So why do they do it? What is it underneath them that really makes them that kind of interest in doing that? And I think from a brand point of view, the reason it's important to do this from an employee-centric point of view is that you become a, a, an authentic, credible trusted advisor to your audience and as a brand you should be looking at that because that is when you look at things like the Edelman Trust Barometer that comes out every January every year they look at who people trust when they're making business decisions business purchase decisions and without a shadow of a doubt the top three are technical expert people like myself or um, employees or peers of the company and they're all in that top area people trust people and they're a little less trusting of logos so the quicker and the more advanced that you get your employees interacting with their communities the more you can tap into that trust economy that is much more than just getting your employees to bang out brand content all the time because if it doesn't fit their story within the brand it just doesn't come across as very authentic do you think people are embarrassed to blow their own trumpet, even if they are experts? Yeah, there, that is a lot. And actually, a lot of the time when we do the training, we, get, we a lot of employees come up and say, I don't really know what to say. I don't think my network's interested in what I've got to say. I don't know what I haven't got anything to share. And the thing is, actually, we're reading, we're learning, we're we're consuming information all the time, every day. And sometimes if you just share that article, whether it's a Forbes article, an HBR article, uh, a TechCrunch article, you know, and you just share it, you will be surprised who in your network will see that and go, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, I've learned something from that. You know, so you don't have to be out there tooting your own, own horn going, oh, look what I've done every day. That's not what this is about. It's about sharing and helping and advising your network. Um, and I always think, you know, and different people within the company have a different role in that. So a salesperson might want to share content that will help their customers learn and understand their industry. Um, so they don't have to go finding that content. An executive might want to put, you know, content from their employees out there to showcase the great talent and the great experts they've got working in. So different roles within a company will have a different content mix depending on what their objective is. And I think the sooner you understand what your objective is, that will then steer the content that you might want to share. So yes, you might want to toot your own horn. I've tooted my own horn today because it's five years in business and I want to celebrate and I want to thank all my customers. Um, but, you know, you might want to share an article that you read that you found insightful that you think others might find insightful. That's OK, too. And how do you think that fits into a traditional content calendar? How does this more fluid approach fit into that planning? Yeah, that is a great question. And we're experimenting with that because over the years it's changed a little bit. So there's always something called the 411 rule, the 321 rule, whatever you want to call it. So three pieces of non-branded content to one piece of branded promotional to one piece of branded thought leadership. So that is a content mix that typical brand managers will follow on their social brand channels. Um, when it comes to, I've had a great discussion actually with uh, Lee Welch from Microsoft, actually. He's a guy that you, you might want to follow him because he has a great approach to this. So he has a content mix that is, you know, one post about my interests and things that are, you know, leadership and articles that I read. 
one article about Microsoft and the kind of things that they do amazing in their culture and how they help their employees. And then he mixes that up with one sort of more post around the business that he works in. So the kind of industry that he's in. So he does three posts a week, but he makes a good job of them. And he kind of follows that kind of rule. So he, his content mix is quite fluid. I mean, for myself, I do one sort of tribal related post one sort of leadership type post. So last week I posted on, um, you know, the panic zone versus the stretch zone versus the comfort zone. I find that stuff interesting because I have a coach and I love that stuff. Um, and I might do something on thought leadership, you know, and share something around, you know, the top 10 tips that you want to know about X, Y, Z. Nothing about tribal, but stuff that might help someone. So mix it up a bit, experiment. You'll find your own thing that works, but try different things would be my advice. What happens when you make a mistake? Not that I've ever seen you make one. Yes, we've all made mistakes. That's how we learn. You just move on to the next thing. Do you know what I mean? As you learn. And, and what I tend to do, I mean, there's two ways to tackle this, right? As an employee, if you make a mistake, if you've said something that you maybe shouldn't have said, right? If it mentioned competitors or if you've released financial details where you shouldn't have done, you know, if there's something like that, which is against the rules, then you remove the post, okay? So you, you act quickly. Or if you start to attract negative criticism, um, I wouldn't start deleting things like that. It depends, you know, there's a line. But if it is constructive, then you start to engage in the conversation and go, well, that's an interesting thought. Tell me more about this or that, you know, and explore it a little bit more. Um, so be open-minded on social media you know is that there is no right or wrong answer you can just open it up for conversation and discussion and if you found that you know a post that you thought was going to do really well and it's just fallen flat on its face and we've all done those um just move on and go I wonder why that was was it the time that I did it was it the kind of content you know and then just move on to the next one and then slightly change it and I do that I look over my posts and I look at what attracted good engagement and what didn't oh no we've all made mistakes even the even the best people in the world have made mistakes if you I tell you where I'm getting really uncomfortable I've started doing LinkedIn live that's where you make a real mistake <laughs> I am waiting for the day that the kids walk in though because I've just you know what I mean it is it's like Facebook live but in front of all your colleagues it's just not you know at least if in front of your friends you can get away with it but <laughs> I've seen your LinkedIn lives and they're great I mean one of the things you said in the most recent one was that you felt guilty about your kids that's that's very honest yeah and I've written a blog today actually and I've I've launched it and it's about um, it goes into that more about the money, mummy guilt because I started tribal when um, when my daughter was my, my youngest daughter was two months old. So I remember hitting the button and registering the company. She was asleep on my lap. I remember it vividly at this desk, and um, and I, and actually, you know, she turned five two months ago, and I just thought, mm, where did that five years go? I felt a sudden sense of loss. Actually, I've lost five years and. And I do also think not many people talk about this guilt. I don't see many people talking about it on LinkedIn. And I, and I start to think, is it just me? And I don't, I don't mean to sort of lay it out there for sympathy. I would actually like to know how other people are, are, are dealing with it. I'm not putting it out there to, you know, woe is me. I'm kind of starting the conversation in the hope that maybe others can share if they're feeling it too and how they're handling it. And I think so with this whole lockdown business as well, you feel it more because your kids are seeing you working every day before they used to be at school. But now they see me locked in a room working all day. Um, so it's harder. 
And it's not just women either. We work with a guy who said, look, 12 o'clock meetings just don't work for me. My wife's a health worker. I've got to feed the kids. And that's okay. Isn't it lovely how we are seeing the human side of business, though? If nothing else, it's exposed that, hasn't it? And, you know, with the dogs at home and the kids walking in, I actually love all that. I mean, we've been working like that anyway for the last three years, but it's just been lovely to see that with our customers. You see a different side and you you empathize and you empathize. And it's just a little, it just makes life a little bit easier, I think. It, it can only be good for business, I think, in that sense. I want to talk a little bit about leaders and leadership. Do you think they're being asked to do too much with social media, being the brand, being on top of absolutely everything? Yeah, and I think and more than that, right, somebody's just gone and put a glass house around them, okay? Everything has become so much more transparent. You can't be a little leader sort of noodling away in the background anymore. You know, it's out there for all to see. And and I think... Um, I think some leaders probably have struggled with that a little bit. You know, we've got glass door ratings. We've got um, surveys going on internally to see which teams are performing and which ones aren't and which ones are happy and engaged and which ones aren't. So there is um, there is a lot of pressure on leaders, I think. If you just embrace like working with your team and you learn together and you develop together and you stop putting on the facade of like, I'm the manager and therefore I must behave, you know, actually just let the, let the walls down and just embrace like working with a team and listen. If there's nothing I've learned over the last five years is to listen and learn, listen and learn. And I have made some clangers, right, with my team that I have listened and I've learned, right, and I won't do it again. And I think that's all you can do. And I think also as a leader, trusting your gut as well. I've, I have learned that if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. And so if you overlay that with the data, you know, you've had, a, you've got the data there and you've got the feeling of, you know, this is not right. Or do you know what? Something's telling me that this is absolutely right. And the data backs it up. You just got to go with it. So I, I have learned over the last five years to trust my gut to my instinct more, absolutely have a handle on the numbers, the data. So you know exactly what's going on and listen. And um, listen to what your customers are saying, are saying, listen to what your employees are saying, and then make sure you have fun. I've always said, you know, focus on the fun, the numbers will come. It's, uh, <laughs> it's that's my like motto in life. But I do think if you're not having fun in business, what's the point, you know, so. What about company culture? Can you still have fun in a big company? Yeah, but you, can, you create culture at the team level. And when you create high-performing cultures at the team level, that bubbles up into a massive company culture like Cisco. You know, and it's getting that right and, and understanding. So you can have fun at the team level. You can focus on the fun, the numbers will come. And, it, and you operate that and it does bubble up. So I don't know, right? I've never, um, you know, the, the studies are there and, and the research is there, but I, I, I firmly believe that you can create you can have fun in business and, and still drive results. So, you know, and then everyone's happy and people want to work then and productivity is higher and engagement is higher and people feel challenged and pushed in their jobs and, you know, and they're forever learning. That's another thing I've learned that if, if employees are not learning, they're not, they're not fully engaged in the role. You've got to keep letting them. That's one thing I've learned actually, just let people explore where they want to learn and you'll get the best out of them. And if you're learning, then you always have something to say on social media. 
absolutely you know and people feel fulfilled and they want to share that absolutely it does come full circle and this actually i think is why advocacy is so tied to culture um it is so tied to the culture of the team of the business because if employees aren't engaged you're trying to push water uphill okay you are, they are never going to become advocates for your brand if they're not engaged in your business so and you kind of get a feel for that you've got to get that bit right before you start asking your employees to advocate the brand on social media because it comes from the heart a great point to end on thanks so much sarah bye-bye thank you so much that was sarah goodall from tribal impact who really walks the walk when it comes to social advocacy and leadership. That's it from this episode of The Growth Business. Goodbye.